You will dig it. Are you clairvoyant? No. Steve DiBiase. Testing, one, two, three, testing. Toaster waffles, the easy breakfast. Put them in a toaster, wait, pop them out, eat them like a sandwich. Ah. <laughs> no mess to clean up. Ding, ding. Applause, please. I got that, from, that was my French test. Welcome to the Nightfly. I am Dave Juskow, and happy Easter and Passover to everyone involved, except the Greek Orthodox people who celebrate next week. That's right, except the Greek Orthodox. I wish a happy everything to everybody except the Greek Orthodox. <laughs> because it sounds horribly uh, prejudiced and racist, uh, but uh, yeah, listen... That's what they choose to do, have it a week later when nobody knows what's going on, and that's what you get. You get the exclusion. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, The Nightfly, recording on Easter Sunday on an absolutely beautiful Easter Sunday, at least in New York City. I hope everybody else had a wonderful Easter, if that's what you do. I have, of course, memories of... Easter Sundays that were absolutely horrid since, you know, my mother hates uh, Jesus and uh, very uptight about his resurrection. And uh, when we used to go to Perth Amboy, New Jersey and, and go see the Easter parade, the bunny would hand out candy. And I've told you this before. And then she would snatch it away. It's Passover. You will not be eating this devil candy. Now, when you do that to kids, I mean, they're just going to get angry forever and never forget, which is what we told her yesterday during her birthday. So you're welcome, America. (laughs) And was it any surprise my mother and Hitler had the same birthdays? No. When you snatch candy from a baby, you get compared to Hitler. That's the way life works. That is the role you assume when you take candy from a baby. Why even let us go to the Easter parade at all? I remember it so well. It was a 
what do you call one of those bags of candy? The uh, like a like a, a, a met, you know, it was like a, you know, like a like a rope like uh, bag, you know, like a see through. It wasn't like a cellophane. I remember it so well because, you know, she takes it out of me and my sister's hands. We're just like, you'll rue the day. Oh, you can't do that to kids, no matter what it is. You, that's when you say, oh, what are you going to do? I took one of these to parade. That's what I get. But whatever the case may be, 50 years later, we're all here to tell the story and uh, still angry. But that's the most hilarious thing of all, of course. Speaking of still angry, if I'm still angry about that 50 years later, why aren't we still angry at the Japanese for the people that we were at war with 50 years ago or whatever it is at this point when World War II was in the 40s? So, all right, so it's a couple more years after that, but I'm just saying, see, the problem with being at war with people is that we tend to forgive after, uh, you know, a lot of our grandparents had to fight the Japs and then you're like, oh, you can't say that. I'm like, why shouldn't I say that? One of the Japanese killed my grandparents. So, yeah, I call them Japs. You know what I'm saying? But you're not even allowed to say that. But I'm like, no, but we were at war with them. A lot of our people got killed because the Japanese took the wrong side. They bombed our country. What, we're friends with them? Yeah, we got to be friends with them. Most of the Japanese. I don't think anybody really has a problem with Japanese, which is kind of funny. I'm not angry at the Japanese. The only reason I bring it up is because for some reason, last night, I was watching Breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't even think it's Japanese. I think it's Chinese. But the point, uh, no, no, it's Japanese, I think. So Mickey Rooney plays, I think it's a Japanese guy, right? Am I wrong about this? Maybe he's Chinese. I should probably have looked it up. But I'm just saying people were really angry. And so they should because it is the most racist depiction I've ever seen. But that's what was happening back then. They would just make Americans look Chinese or Japanese. It's completely racist. Everybody's weighed into the controversy. Blake Edwards is like, no, we got to do it. And then years later, he's like, oh, I fucked up. I fucked up because it's real fucked up. Mickey Rooney was devastated that people were so angry about it because he's like, I didn't want to. I thought we were having a, a good time. Why should any if he was, in fact, Japanese, which I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was Japanese. Why shouldn't we pick on them? It was 1961. We were at war with them only 20 years ago. Do we just forgive like that? I guess we do. And that's the way the Japanese are allowed to take up all our buildings and everything like that. I mean, it's really pretty fucked up. Is that the case? Are we going to just be okay with the Iraqis and the Irans and all those kind of people and all the people that are terrorists and everything? We're just going to be good with them in 20 years and they're just like the whole thing never happened? That's what we apparently do. I mean, I guess you have to forgive. But if I don't forgive my mother for taking all that candy on Easter, well, then how am I supposed to forgive anything? But that's what I think the Japanese people forget. You know, we used to be at war with you, so how dare you get mad at anything? You're lucky we forgave. Thank you. Yeah. Is it racist? I don't know. We were at war, right? That's why I'll never forgive the Germans. You know that. Fuck the Germans. Fuck the Germans. I couldn't care less. I mean, those people were pretty badass. At least the Japanese, you know, I think they kind of played by the war rules. You know, like, I mean, yeah, they bombed us and everything. We were at war with them and all that kind of stuff. But I think they played by the war rules. The Germans just were playing by, well, I don't want to say by Trump rules, but I'm just saying, I mean, because, I mean, you know, I don't really have a problem with it, but I'm just saying they're playing with a, you're just not expecting what they're bringing. Like, this is bad. This has gotten bad. This whole rant has gotten very bad. Horrible way to start the podcast, and yet um, I just couldn't be happier starting it this way. Um, I am not comparing Trump to Hitler, although my friends uh, do that. 
I am just saying that, uh, you know, that's what I always say about Trump. I mean, this guy's not playing by the rules. Why should he? It's fucking brilliant um, to not play by the rules. And, and it's just like, I mean, everybody's so thrown off. They don't know what to do, which is why they just keep doing the Mueller report, the Mueller report, the Mueller report. There's nothing there. Who cares? Who cares? So what if there is something? We've already found that there's nothing there. They send a little bit of more redacted and redacted stuff, and there's still nothing there. Let's move on. Why are we still talking about, my God, I've told you this on the park for two years. They've just been picking on something he did before he was president. Nobody's, maybe he might be the best president we've ever had since no one has talked about anything he's done while he's in office. There hasn't been one goddamn bit of information while he's been in office. For years from now, we may see great things he did because no one's concentrating on it. It's all what he did before he was president. And, oh, my God, you guys are so dumb. I don't even know where to begin. I know you think I'm done for saying this, but I'm like, oh, my God. If you hate him so much, how many times we got to go over this? Spend your time wiser in finding someone to beat him. Let's forget about this and move the fuck on. It's an embarrassment for your whole party. My God, you lost. It didn't work out. The report didn't have what you wanted. So now you lost, you move, but you're like, oh, I fucked up. Don't talk about it anymore. Why are you still talking about it? It's an embarrassment. You just, because you are continuing and you didn't apologize, you just made Trump the president for 2020. Congratulations, you dumb fucks. If you don't like him, find somebody to beat him. That's the only thing you should be doing right now. You got one year left. It it drives me insane. I just, I know I'm not a bright guy. I know I'm not a bright guy, but it seems like this one is the most obvious thing. There's only two parts of the country that don't like Trump, and that would be New York and Los Angeles, and the rest of the country. Are you not getting it? The rest of the country, 48 other states... We'll vote for him. You're all screwed. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But here's a guy. He doesn't play by the rules. He's doing things you never expected. And all these people are shocked. And they're smart. These are smart people. These are very smart people. I have great respect for people like Rachel Maddow or or, uh, Chuck Schumer and people like Pelosi. These are very, very smart, bright people. But I feel like they're just not getting the message. Yeah, the guy's a loose cannon. The guy is a rebel. He's out of his mind. He doesn't know how to be presidential. So, okay, that's the story. Now let's find another way to combat that. You know, be prepared for the unexpected. I, I Again, I have to just use the analogy of the Golden State Warriors, you fucking idiots. I just... The Golden State Warriors, and I've made this metaphor on television, on the show Red Eye, the Golden State Warriors, everybody's like, the Golden State Warriors, what are they doing? They keep shooting threes. They keep shooting threes. It's not fair. They're just winning because they're shooting threes. The other team's like, it's not fair. This is the exact same scenario. So what? This guy, this brilliant coach, Steve Kerr, decided, it's like, hey, you know how we can win? Just keep shooting threes. Get a bunch of guys that are really good at shooting threes. <laughs> like beat everybody by like 30 points. That's what Trump's doing. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to fire people that get my way. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. 
I can do that because I'm the president. I don't have to play by anybody's rules. I'm the president. But the NBA, two years after, three years later, just the same amount as Trump, figured it out. They found a couple of other teams. Now teams follow the Golden State Warriors rule. Oh, we'll find some guys to make three-pointers. Hey, that's a great idea. Yeah. And now maybe we can beat the Warriors. Oh, my God. So if you are a, a Democrat or a hater of Trump, whatever you are, Republican, Democrat, if you just don't like the president, if you don't care for his his antics, then, um, you know, the good way to beat him is to do the exact same thing. Do something crazy. Go off book, you know, like he's doing. You know, if you're that smart, you should be able to be that stupid as well <laughs> and, like, figure out something that's going to work it out. There's got to be somebody out there that's smart enough to be like, geez, we did. I mean, you guys are scaring me. I don't know if I want a, a, a Pelosi or Schumer person in office because if you can't deal with a maniac and a madman, then how are you going to protect the country? That's the thing. This guy, look at what Trump's doing. He knows how to deal with the crazies. He knows how to deal with Putin. He knows how to deal with the, the North Koreans. He gets it. He knows how to deal with it. Like, hey, when somebody's really nuts, I'll tell you, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make them my friend. This is what I would do. That's why I think that's why I get it. I would be, if I was in North Korea, I'd be like, this guy, Kim Jong, he's fantastic, right? Am I right, people? This guy's great. We got a great friendship. That's exactly what I would do. But that's what, exactly what I would do if I'm sitting near Putin. I'm like, we had a great time. I think he's a great guy. Are you, an, are you insane? What are you going to say right in front of him that he's an asshole? Are you you're trying to get yourself blown up? I mean, it's it seems smart. I don't know where this rant came from. I really do not know. But, you know, it's all over the news. What are you going to do? What are you going to talk about? I just watch, uh, what do I watch? That NBC show uh, with uh, Chuck uh, Todd. Meet the press. They had Giuliani. Now, see, here's the problem. They have Giuliani. Got, this guy's screaming. He looks like a moron. Giuliani's an idiot. I don't know why they ever let him go on TV when you see this guy ranting and raving and not letting him finish questions, I know Chuck Todd has his own agenda, but then it really does make the office look stupid. Giuliani just is crazy. He's an idiot. Uh, it's so funny that some guy that used to be just the shit became such a moron. And the way he acts on the show makes me think, and I'm, you know, not a hater, that, yeah, Maybe that whole organization is stupid because this they got this guy saying, you know, it's uh, uh, it's bad. Um, it's it, it, it does it. He makes things look like there's a cover up. They got to get somebody better to do interviews. I don't know who, but they got to find somebody anyway. Anyway. Why are we here today? So a couple of things, obviously, lots of things to talk about, actually. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say that I started my uh, morning regimen with this thing, this coffee that Sarah put together for me. I think it's called Bulletproof Coffee, and it's a way to make, like, kind of blend a coffee in the morning. So I bought, I even bought, like, a special blender for it. It's like a single-serving blender. It's only, it was only 11 bucks, and I put... The regular coffee that I use, whatever, you're supposed to use French press. I don't care, right? So I just use the coffee that I use every morning because I bought so much of it because it was working. It was the Cafe Bustelo. And then I put in 
coconut oil, MCT oil. I don't know what it is either, but Sarah gave me the recipe. Uh, cinnamon, almond milk, and the coffee. And uh, mix it up in a blender. It's delicious every morning. But, so I've had it for three days in a row, and I really look forward to it. But it's been definitely giving me bad acid reflux, which I think coffee does in general for me. But, you know, I love having one cup a day. Um, if you can't drink coffee, it blows. You know, coffee's kind of great. don't even know why. I'm having it right now. Mm-mm. But for some reason, that particular recipe is giving me very bad acid reflux. So we've been looking online. Can't figure out what it is. Is it the coconut oil? Is it the MCT oil? Is it the almond milk? So I don't know. I'm going to take out the MCT oil tomorrow. I don't even know what that does. See if that makes a difference. And I'll just take out one thing at a time and see what, uh, what the difference is. Maybe it's the coconut oil. I don't know. But I think that stuff's supposed to be good for you. So it seems like a very good morning drink. It's been delightful to uh, to have. It's, uh, it's very tasty. It's the best cup of coffee I ever had. And it looks really pretty because it's got like a foamy top, which always makes everything look delicious. Like that old 321 Jello. That 321 Jello mode. It had the layers of Jello, the layers. Oh, I've been looking for that for years. I can't find that anymore. You know, they still sell it, but you don't want to open that. That's what Rhoda does. You know, Rhoda Juskow does that. She, she will use the molds, the Jello you know, powder from the 80s, and then she tries to poison us at uh, Thanksgiving. So don't do that. But I see the pictures online, and I'm like, oh. I don't know how they did it. It was like three-layer jello. It was regular jello. Then there was like a medium top, and then there was like a foamy top. I don't know how they made it, and I don't know why they don't continue to make it because it was delicious, and it looked good, and it looked fancy. Like if you're cooking dinner for friends, you bring it out, and you say, hey, how about this? Oh, my God, you went to so much work. And then you turn to no camera, but you turn around, didn't I? And then people are like, what the hell's the matter with you? That would be hilarious. So, uh, okay. Let me tell you this first, and then we will obviously talk about opening for Sarah Silverman. At the uh, casino in the Catskills Mountain Resorts. Now, I thought it was going to be Grossinger's. And I come in and I say, what's the matter with you people? Have you people ever heard of Passover? You're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be solemn and doing a Seder. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what I thought I was going to do. But all of a sudden, there's no more Jews at the Grossinger's. They don't even have Grossinger's anymore. I tell a story about going to Kutcher's. That clown doesn't care. I don't know who's there. I don't know what's going on. That's all I'm saying. Wait, are you doing Sheba Mason? No, I'm doing a father Jackie Mason. What's the matter with you? Anywho, what was I saying? Okay, uh, right. Oh, here's what I wanted to tell you. This is... Um... Well, we haven't used that in a while, the breaking news theme. Uh, this is breaking news. Um, uh, I So I'm walking home from a Seder yesterday um, from my parking garage, you know, where I do all my thinking. 
and how can I get my life better because why am I doing this? Whatever it is. Um, and I was listening to Howard Stern on the way in my uh, headphones, and I was like, and then I was thinking of Mike Francesa, and I was just thinking, because I was, guess I was thinking of the podcast, and I was thinking it's funny that I, you know, just talked for an hour or two, and I was just thinking, I guess, that last week I talked for two, like almost two hours and 15 minutes, and I was like, well, that's, you know, what I've always wanted to do, and Mike Francesa, who's a, a, a sports um, uh, DJ, what do you call it, a sports a jockey uh, here in New York City, but I guess, yeah, I don't know whether he's nationwide known or not. But anyway, just one of these sports guys, and he's got his own show. And he, and then I was like, they take calls, so they're able to talk much longer because they take calls, and it's easy. It was just Howard Stern. I was like, I should take calls. I should take calls. I should do one episode where I take some calls. So I had just been talking to this guy who's got the studio, the studio that I... Uh, told Pete Holmes about where now when he comes to New York, he does his show in that studio. You're welcome, Pete. Um, I was talking to this guy. I'm like, can we take calls uh, at your thing? And um, he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, when can we do it? And he said, well, why don't we do it May 3rd? So then May 2nd, Thursday, May 2nd. So my plan was to come on the uh, podcast and give you the number to call in and and on Thursday, May 2nd at 7 o'clock. But... He just gave me a cell phone number. I'm like, he's like, yeah, give out yours too. And I'm like, you want me to give out my cell phone number? I, you know, isn't that kind of odd? Why would you want to give out your cell phone number? I, I don't think he understood what I was talking about. I mean, I think he's used to just having, you know, friends call him. And no offense to any of you guys. I'm just saying, I, I couldn't figure out why he wanted to give his cell phone number to random people. Um, but so I got to figure that out. Uh, but we're going to do it. Um, I, you know, but I want to, it's not just the the phone number. That's an easy fix, but, um, and I don't mind giving out mine, but I'm just saying, um, oh, here's the number six, not four. uh, I'm doing that live. I'm not uh, blanking it out. I was trying to give my mother's number on the air, which would have been extra funny. Um, but, uh, so I'm trying to make it so like people can call at the same time and they can be on hold, but maybe that you can hear it or maybe we could broadcast it live somehow i'm just working out the details but i think in may i guess it won't be may 2nd but in may we're going to do a show where if you want to call into the show you can call in and we can and we can chat i don't know i mean that can work two ways right it's either going to make me feel great because i'm like oh isn't this great there are a lot of people that listen that call in because i don't know how many people listen i don't know i don't know how to track it I mean, obviously, it gives us the number on SoundCloud, but it goes to other things. It goes to iTunes. It goes to this podcast thing. I don't know how it works. I just load it up to SoundCloud, and it the 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 stand up New York people set it up somehow that it goes to all these other platforms, which is why I can't fix that stupid thing on iTunes that calls it the spread. Still, so with the I can't fix it. I can't fix the picture. I can't. It's driving me crazy. But I, I guess I also just don't care. And because it's weekly, maybe if I had some time off, I could figure it out and make a new platform or whatever. And I should probably look into that. I just don't care, I guess, because we always just have a good time here. But um, I don't know. I'm going to work this out. So uh, we get so right. It can go two ways. It's either like it'll be lovely or it'll be really depressing that like nobody called. But I would have to give you the time and the date and the number. And um, I don't know. I don't know whether I can do it live. But like I'm saying, it maybe doesn't have to be live. 
you know, we can tape it, but it would be live phone calls. Because I know a lot of people, like, they're just like, oh, you can leave a message. We don't want to do that. We want to talk. Like a, like a, like a radio show. Um, that's all I've ever wanted anyway. So I think um, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, I wish you like like if you had a Sirius XM show or something. I don't know. That's the plan. So, and then I'm going to do it sooner than later, if uh, that interests anybody. And I guess we'll see how that goes. And if it goes well, we'll do it again. And if it doesn't, I'll probably just end the podcast because I'll be so depressed. <laughs> no, I won't. It'll be funny. It makes there's no way to lose because it still makes for an interesting podcast, I guess. Because. Um, you know, it's something to talk about. It's like sometimes the sports guys, when they listen to the sports guys, they prefer if the, uh, you know, if the Mets are in the series or the Mets are so or whoever, you know, the Yankees, whatever. Sometimes it's better in a loss because it's a more interesting conversation. You know, you want the team to win, but you also sometimes need a big loss because it just, um, you know, for somebody who's running a show, it's better, not for the fans, but it's much more entertaining, I think, a call to call in. Like, here's where they fucked up, and this is the bad part. We got to get rid of these people. That's much more exciting than like, boy, what a great win, huh? You know, but whatever. Um, I just will say this: that uh, I I didn't do anything all week because I was preparing. For the for the Sarah opening for Sarah Silverman at the casino, and of course, whenever I uh, think about a casino, I just think of the movie Casino. Where the fuck you get off talking to people about me behind my back, going over my head? What people? What people would you think I wasn't going to find out? I don't even know what you're talking about, Nick. No, you said I'm bringing heat on you. I got to listen to people because of your fucking shit? You're ordering me out? You better get your own fucking army, pal. I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't order you or anybody. I only told Andy Stone that you had a lot of heat on you and that was a problem. You want me to get out of my own fucking town? Yeah, I said, let, let the bullshit blow over for a while so I can run the casino. Anything goes wrong with the casino, it's my ass. It's not yours, it's my ass. Uh, I don't know whether you notice or not, but you only have your fucking casino because I made that possible. I- I'm what counts out here. Not your fucking country clubs or your fucking TV shows. And what the fuck are you doing on TV anyhow? You know, I get calls from back home every fucking day. They think you went batshit. I'm only on TV because I got to be able to hang around the casino. You understand that. You know that. Your fucking ass. You could have had the food and beverage job without going on television. You wanted to go on TV. Yeah, I did want to go on TV. That way I have a form. I can fight back. I'm known. People see me. They know they can't fuck around me like they could if I was an unknown. That's right. You're making a big fucking spectacle of yourself. Me? I wouldn't even be in this situation if it wasn't for you. You brought down so much fucking heat on me. I mean, every time I meet somebody, the big question is, do I know you? Oh, sure. And now you want to bring your fucking license on me. No, is that it? D- Nikki, when you asked me if you could come out here, what did I tell you? I mean, you asked me, and I knew you were going to come out no matter what I said, but what did I tell you? Do you remember what I told you? Back, back do you up, remember back what up I a told you? Minute here. One minute. I asked you, when the fuck did I ever ask you if I could come out here? Get this through your head. You never... you... Get this through your head, you Jew motherfucker, you. You only exist out here because of me. That's the only reason. Without me, you personally, every fucking wise guy still around, I'll take a piece of your fucking Jew ass. Then where are you going to go? Your fucking warrant don't ever go over my fucking head again, you motherfucker, you. <laughs> That's what I always think of. I want to just come in blasting like uh, like that, our favorite scene from Cocktail. 
who the fuck are you to tell me? And that's, I like when he switches. Like, And that's the other thing. What the fuck are you doing on television, you Jew bastard? <laughs> Do you know people are calling me back home? They think you've gone batshit? Those are the calls I got when I was on Crashing. And what the fuck are you doing on television in that fucking towel, you Jew bastard? So that's all I ever think about. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, why? Every time I say the word casino, I can't. How can I not do what, what am I not gonna think about that? What am I gonna say? Come on. What are we doing here? You know? Oh, oh. Oh, by the way, up front, I just played. I was watching all week. I told you I did nothing. You know, I, um, I mean, I would come home. I would practice my set just once because if I do it again, I get bored. And then I would watch TV. Or on Wednesday, I made a matzo lasagna. Instead of doing it Thursday, I made it on Wednesday. I made two matzo lasagna. I was afraid to double the recipe, so I have to do it twice. And I'm like, no, screw that. I'll just put in double the sauce. The sauce isn't going to go wrong. And then I didn't end up with enough sauce because I didn't know what I was doing. I, I don't know how to make two at the same time, but I did it. And I think it came out okay. But I cooked all night Wednesday. And then I watched, for some reason, this movie, Larry Crown. So this movie, Larry Crown, why did I watch it? Why did I watch it? Because it's completely fascinating. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's not a very good movie. It's not a good movie. But why do I watch it? There's three goddamn Oscar winners in it. And if you count Tom Hanks, there's four. Because he's won twice. Julie Roberts, Tom Hanks, and a young Remy Malek. So now there's three Oscar winners in it. And the movie is really bad. Although enjoyable to watch, but not it's not good. And the opening scene was Remy Malik. Uh, I'm talking because he was really funny and he's cute. But um, yeah, three Oscar winners in one movie, and it's like not the best movie ever. It's kind of funny when that comes together. But I uh, like it because of, there's this ridiculously hot black girl. I looked her up like right away. Who look? You know, it's the same thing. It looks like she's definitely coming on to you know Tom Hanks is way older, but she's just flirtatious for that all the time but um it's yeah it's just not good but they they get to ride scooters and i like that i'm so jealous they get to ride scooters and they're in a little gang of you know sissies uh but it's uh they get the house i would love to be able to ride a scooter i hate living here sometimes it'd be fun to live in california and ride a scooter i've always wanted like a vespa those seem cool i can't handle a motorcycle i'm not man enough to handle a motorcycle i'm man enough to handle a vespa though Plus they have that good, uh, what's it? They have that good uh, ELO song at the end. the best ELO song ever, but it's still kind of great in a fun, it does pick up. Oh, there's that ELO sound.
Kind of, you know, again, not their best song, but still uh, very entertaining. And uh, that's how the uh, stupid movie ends. And I don't know why I watched I mean, it was really late at night. I think I stayed up to like three in the morning because I was all wired up from cooking. And I might have had the lasagna in the oven at that point. And, you know, plus I was, you know, how are you going to listen? How are you going to sleep? You know you're going to perform for 3,000 people the next day. How the hell are you? And what the fuck are you doing on television, you Jew motherfucker? Can we just say that the rest of the uh, podcast? Oh, and may I say before I was about to say that, you should probably uh, not have it on speaker right now. I know I've talked to a couple uh, people that listen, and they're like, oh, uh, they're fumbling for the, uh, oh, he said the N-word. Yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so let's go into, um, the day. So the week I, I kept practicing, right? So I, I had a, I finally timed that I had about 12, 13 minutes. Perfect. Right. That's all I really needed. And this is to, um, open at this casino, as you know, at the resorts world for Sarah Silverman. It was me, Sarah Silverman, Salazzo, McCluskey, um, Marina Franklin, I said, right. And Beth Stelling. Uh, so uh, I was told I went to work in the morning, uh, which no one else, of course, has to do. Uh, and then I met Sarah at her, her hotel down in the uh, the village, the East Village. And so I had to take the train, which was ridiculous. You know, like you know me, I can't be going in the wrong direction, but that's totally the wrong direction for where we're headed. It was driving me crazy. I just had to take it out of my brain. And just relax. But I got to say, when I went there, I didn't. I was very comfortable. For some reason, with these concert shows that we even did in Toronto and things like that, I I feel very comfortable. I I felt I had my act together or whatever it was that I was going to do, and I felt very comfortable. I was not nervous. The thought of it is nerve wracking, but I really just wasn't worried or nervous. I don't know why. So I left that day and I went down there and um, I had had a star magazine with me that I was just going to read for the ride or something that I had had on the plane before and I just can't get rid of it or read it. And I just keep carrying it around because I think I'm either going to read it or give it to somebody. And uh, as soon as I sat down, her and Beth were um, at the restaurant and I was just and I wasn't sure about eating because I usually eat at one o'clock. So I was very confused. So I had one of those uh, Nutra. I keep telling the Neutrogena bars, but that's clearly not what it was. It was like. Whatever it was, it was like an apple bar that I used to eat. Like, I just needed something because I really wasn't sure how to handle it. I usually eat at 1 o'clock every day. So um, 
I got that and I walked in, but they were already like at the, they should have told me they were going to eat a little nosh. Beth had like a croissant and she had a donut and she had a, you know, and it was like, hey, well, I didn't know we were eating. Plus, I was nervous about eating because I wasn't sure how my stomach was, you know, it was very uptight. But still felt good. But I came in with the Star Magazine and, I'm, and I just sat and I threw it on the table and I'm like, is it true that you and Justin Bieber are dating? Which is, you know, a hilarious way to start off a road trip. Because it's possible that she could be in that mag. There could be gossip about her in there. So that's a. So that got big laughs. Um, and then when we were in the car, we decided we we're going to stop off the sta- sandwich shop. And I'm like nervous because I'm like, I'd rather uh, eat something. But I just had a, a sandwich. I was very nervous that I was going to be too full and then I'm going to need a nap, whatever. But everything was fine. We ate, I like eating in the car in the way that there's a big, you know, big huge SUV. Um, so we're sitting there, and then finally Sarah says, so what are your jokes going to be? And I'm like, what? Oh, you need to know? Or I mean, she just wanted to know. And her and Beth were there, and I'm like, all right. All right, fine. I'll tell you exactly what they're going to be. And I and I started telling her, and, and they were laughing. It was working. I think she was she was happy. And then I got to a point where they just made this face, and they're like, oh. And that you're going to do that? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I was telling you that part. Meanwhile, of course I was doing that. And then I had to get off fat. Get off fat. I had to cut it out because it was nerve-wracking. And then from that moment on, I got nervous. I wasn't nervous about anything until she was like, what? You're going to do that? No. No. (laughs) I was just telling you how I got the idea for for doing that bit. (laughs) So then that kind of ruined my time there uh because it was also rainy and it was kind of a miserable day whatever and then i was hoping to nap but i think they nap but I, then i couldn't nap i don't know and i'm like i'm gonna be exhausted so then uh we go there and we do like a you know a sound check or something and then we all have rooms um and but even though we're not staying, but the guy gave us the keys so we could go. But I was like, I knew I got to just do. I know Sarah just wants me to hang out, but she had Beth, too. So I didn't really have to hang. But they just got into bed. Which would technically be kind of hot if it wasn't Sarah. I don't think it was like that. Um, and they were going to take a nap. So I'm like, you know, what? I'll go down to Marina. I'll go down to see her because she's like, yeah, come down. Let's hang out. But she had a friend there, too, that drove her. Marina came separately. With a girl that I just never remember. And she's like, you oh, you never remember me. I've met you like 30 times. I'm like, yeah, I'm just busting on you, sweetheart. Hey, you're terrific. Yeah, I had no idea who it was. But apparently I was the one who introduced her to Marina, which is extra funny. I'm the reason they hang out. Um, so <laughs> I still had no idea. Um, I think I threw a birthday party for Marina once, and that's where they met or something like that. So anyway... Um, so Marie and I are talking. We're having a good time, and um, we're just uh, joking around. Uh, and then I'm just, yeah, and then, you know, we had like four hours to kill. The show didn't start at 9. It, it started, it, we thought it started at 8. It started at 9. We got there at like 5 o'clock, so we had four hours to kill. And I'm like, I don't want to eat. I just want to relax. I don't want to take a nap because I'll wake up cranky. So then finally, like two hours later, I went back up this hour. And I'm like, are you guys up? And. They had napped, but I, I just couldn't, uh, you know, 
a little worried. And then we went down to the green room where we ordered food for later, which is what Sarah and I like to do. We like to eat in the car on the way home. So we are, you know, they had one of those steak places, you know, like a Peter Luger's or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this will be great. But they didn't have lamb chops, which are a lot easier to eat than a steak in a moving car. So this guy said, oh, you should order this. It's like a lobster seafood, like a lobster seafood. You know, it'll be uh, uh, lobster pasta. So I ordered that, but I switched to the end when we were on our way home. I opened it up and it was like a full lobster and it smelled, you know, great to me and you, but Sarah hates fish smell. I don't usually eat it in front of her. And boy, was she angry. I just ordered completely wrong. I mean, I try and be, um, listen, if I'm working for her, I try and be respectful. Why wouldn't I? I'm just the opener. That's what you do. I didn't want to be a dick, and I don't even like ordering meat in front of her. I feel bad, but she says that's okay. But, yeah, the fish was too much, and I just put it immediately away. I felt horrible. She had to open the windows. It was really bad, and I felt really bad. I just ordered wrong. I thought it was just going to be chunks of lobster in a pasta, and there would be – I mean, it was even a better deal. God, I wish I could have eaten that thing. I ended up giving it to the driver. I was so upset about it. It looked delicious. But what are you going to do? She's the reason I'm there. I got to be respectful. It's not like just we're friendly and then I could get mad at her for being a dick. This was, I'm her employee this, that day. So it's all right. But meanwhile, they also, we ordered, me and Beth ordered these meatball appetizers, but for some reason they gave us a meatball parm sub. Both of us, we had two meatball parm subs and they were they looked delicious, and they were delicious. So I just ate that. I mean, that was fine. I didn't eat both, but we went crazy because it was free, and you get a meal, and we just knew. You know, we're like, screw it. We all ordered a bunch of stuff. Sarah ordered vegetarians, like a vegetarian burger or whatever, and I, I mean, that meatball parmesan sub, it was like the kind where Joey was trying to save it instead of David Schwimmer and Friends. In that Friends episode where they, they hear gunshots, but and it looks like he's going to save David Sherman, but it turns out he was only trying to save the sandwich. It's a delicious sandwich. And it's a meatball sub that Joey's favorite, except for his regular meal, which is two pizzas. But it was a Joey special. The Joey special is two pizzas. But you, we all know he likes meatball subs. And then I said to Sarah, and I'm like, oh, why do you suppose at Fast Times at Ridgemont High this guy would order a meatball sub? It gets all over you. It doesn't make any sense. Try to pick up the girl. And that's all I ever think about is... That's why he was a meatball soup. But this was meatball parm, and it was, oh, it was great. And I also got cream spinach, and it was delicious. And some apple juice. <laughs> what am I, 12? I don't know. Sure was good, though. Oh, that meatball parm. I only ate half of it. It was so filling. And then I gave the rest to the driver. Damn it. That one I would have liked to have taken home. But when was I going to eat it? When was I going to eat it? The next day I got to go home for sale. Come on, where are I going to eat it? I can eat it today. I wish I had the sandwich. Not going to lie to you. Wish I had the sandwich. I'm thinking about it right now. Oh, you know what I want to say about David Schwimmer, too? So I was watching Will and Grace today, which I watch every day. Every, I mean, I watch all the episodes, right? That guy Jack is hilarious. Deborah Messing is the worst actress. But the show's good. The show's well-written. It's fun. I've always liked it. I never want to watch it again. I don't like watching it in repeats or anything. But I like the... Uh, the the you know I'll watch a, a new episode, and so David Schwimmer is now in the show as um, 
Deborah Messing's boyfriend. And I'll tell you this, because I was talking about this with Sarah, actually, and she has no opinion. So don't please don't get angry. Um, I think Jennifer Aniston stinks. I think she's a horrible actress. I think she is ridiculously hot. No one is taking that away from her. I think she was brilliant on Friends. But I think that's what you get when Jennifer Aniston is in a show. You just get Rachel Green. Um, I'm not being one of those people that I can't look away from that. But that's the acting. That's all I think she ever brings to a movie. And I really believe that the only reason she's in movies is because she is ridiculously attractive. Um, Very much like Kim Bassinger, who used to get a lot of work. Um, because she was so gorgeous, but she's a horrible actress, and then somehow she won an Oscar. Because sometimes you get better just by doing it, and people get lucky. I mean, Sarah was a pretty bad actress when she first started, but got much better just because she kept getting so much work. She got to where she was nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award. I mean, that's unbelievable, and she was great. And she gets to, you know, by doing, you usually get better. I don't feel Jennifer Aniston has. I think you only get Rachel Green. I don't like her performance. I haven't seen Horrible Bosses. Maybe she's different in that. I don't know. Because she plays more of a villain. But I think she's bad. But this David Schwimmer, it's interesting. He's playing a different character than Ross. And I'm like, well, here's a guy. Look at this guy. He's playing a completely different character. He's playing a curmudgeon uh, you know, a guy who, well, like me, mostly he's just angry at everything and whatever. And I, 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 I don't see Ross when I see him doing this character, which is the sign of a good actor. Um, I don't know. I just noticed it because I was watching it before I was waiting for my computer to restart. I'm like, oh, I'll watch a Will and Grace episode before I do the podcast. And I'll tell you something. All I want to do is wake up early and do the podcast. I can never get it together. I woke up at like. 10 and then it's like you know i go back to sleep it's 10 45 uh you know i just can't get stuff together i gotta watch a little tv by the time you know it's two o'clock in the afternoon god damn it when i'm doing it but i'm not doing anything else today so it doesn't matter and it turns out the day turned out to be beautiful it was cloudy before and now i'm looking outside and it really is a lovely day so i think that's why i'm talking because i don't have my coffee it up it's just beautiful outside i'm all over the place anyway the show starts and, uh, you know, and go up and do my stuff. I'm telling you, I was not nervous. I was not nervous. I don't know. I felt comfortable. I felt I had it planned. I knew what to do. I knew my job. And the first seven minutes, I was, I was killing. When I finished, I went back and Sarah was in another room. She goes, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. You did great. You killed. I heard the, I heard the laughs. And I'm like, really? I mean, yes. I Yeah. So... I just told her, I'm like, thank you. That means so much, and I'll be better in July. I'll have it more down. And she was really, really happy with the performance. I'm going to tell you, it went great. And then Mar- Marina and I talked. She's like, I'm really proud of you. You did really great for the seven minutes, but why didn't you stick to what you were doing? Which, can you believe it? I was talking about myself for the first seven minutes. I, I finally breached the gap and decided to talk about myself is it possible that I could finally become a really good comic if I just talk about myself? I think we all know the answer. But then, of course, I went into just, you know, politics, politics, politics. And I said, it all starts 
with the Serbs. And it goes up, and then finally, we get to the big, who wants to be a big fat pig? Um, no, then I started doing the stuff I had, which was the uh, the box on the airplane, you know, then the anti-stolicism, and then the cousin, the Aunt Becky thing, and I, I guess people just, they don't care, they want you to talk about yourself, and I guess I was doing a pretty funny job, and once I get that figured out, and I've always known, I've always known, if I can figure it out, I know I'll be great. And that's all anybody's ever asked me to do. Why don't you talk about yourself on stage? Why don't you talk about yourself? I don't know why I can't do it. But Friday was the first endeavor into possibly doing that. And the first five to seven minutes worked out really good. I was talking about my first first time I had sex. And it's a very funny story. But I've been afraid to tell it for a long time just because I didn't know how to operate it. And, uh, you know, I mean, basically I was just like, oh, I, God, the first time I had sex, I... Um, I was open. I said, I'm, it, tomorrow's the anniversary. You're hearing a great night. Tomorrow's the anniversary of the first time I ever had sex. About a year and a half. Uh, you know, so ha, hilarious stuff. <laughs> it's it's uh, like that line in, in fame. You know, I, I'm from the Bronx. Sex starts really early in the Bronx, about 6 a.m. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then I said that... Uh, you know, whenever you ask your friends, like, well, when was the first time you had sex? I'm so bummed because I still am that 16-year-old kid or 19-year-old kid who still has to use the word technically. You know, I'm still in that. Oh, technically? Technically, uh, yeah, I was probably about 19. But for real, you know, I hate that I have to use technically because I wasn't sure if I was inside. Anyway, these are the jokes. These are the jokes. Hey, folks, I had to go on the mic. These are the jokes, folks. Come on. Huh? Huh? How are you? <laughs> but no, that people seem to like it. I saw their face, some of the faces in the in the front, and the guy, there's one guy that totally got what I was saying when I was talking about how we, you know, I had to go to the movie theaters to see porn and stuff like that. I don't know. I This part I know is good, and I think I can uh, go further on it. And then I told Sarah one of my other jokes, which was that one where I, uh, which I got to figure out more, but where I'm the new, uh, I got that job in the Avengers, um, a, a new superhero. I'm the guy that when the Hulk doesn't want to become the Hulk, but we need him, I'm the guy they bring in. My superpower is I can annoy the shit out of anyone. And uh, <laughs> I just come in, how are you? Just eating a big sandwich and being like, mm. so Hulk, you do, you don't want to turn in the Hulk or you do? And uh, he just gets so riled up instantly. I'm really good at my job. Uh, so I think that will be funny. I'll, I'll get it right. But anyway, everything went very good. I was comfortable. Uh, Marina and I talked for a long time yesterday, and she goes, boy, you looked really comfortable. You looked like you were having a good time up there. Let me tell you something, folks. The fact that any of this happened, we have to, we have to look at this miracle of 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 something like this happening in in this kind of magnitude to perform for this many people at this point in my life and the way things have become i mean i work in a regular job we know this so to just one day be at work and uh, people are, you know, asking questions. I'm like, did you, hey, I'm, I'm going to be out tomorrow. Can you put that on the attendance sheet? 
or uh, you know, talking about uh, how when are we gonna, how much are we gonna spend on teaching classes or how are the spaces gonna be when we move? I, I, whatever it is, the mundane thing of a daily job. And then, and then, and you know, a couple hours later, performing in front of three thousand people, opening for, uh, quite frankly, one of the greatest comics of the twenty first century. I mean, I, I don't know. Can you not? I mean, wouldn't she be on a list? She'd certainly, be on a top fifty list. She could be on a top twenty list. It's not a tell. But listen, she's she. Uh, the place was packed, so people seem to like her. I mean, that is a strange scenario. When I think back, you know, the problem is I never wanted to be a stand-up comic. I never wanted to be a stand-up comic. I just wanted to do comedy. That's why SCTV was there. That was the one. I just, that spoke to me. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do comic act. I wanted to be a comic actor. I never wanted to be a stand-up comic. It just made sense that stand-up comedy would be a way to go because it's comedy. It's got the word comedy in it, and you don't have to do anything. I don't have to get a TV show. I can just come up with material, you know, you didn't realize how hard that was, and perform it on a, a stage on a given day, and I don't need anything else but to have a microphone and, and don't even need that. And you can do stand-up comedy. And, you know, mostly people are always saying in high school and college, are you going to do stand-up? Have you ever done stand-up? Have you thought about stand-up? I mean, it makes sense that no i mean i thought about it i didn't want to do it it's just i never pictured myself being a stand-up comedian at like madison square garden that just wasn't the way i thought about it and when i'm pretty sure atel and sarah and louie and john stewart and all the people i started with wanted to do that i think they pictured themselves i want to be the i mean i know atel did i want to be the best stand-up comic in the country uh, I just want to do that. And I want to get on Letterman. I want to do this. You know that's that. And I never felt that way. And I think they all knew that, which is maybe why they just didn't feel any competition or anything. You know, they knew I really just wanted to be an actor. But then it turned out later. I didn't even know when I first started doing it that in the '90s, stand-up comedy truly became a fast track into doing everything I'd ever wanted to do in my life. But I just couldn't commit to do being a stand-up comic. I just didn't like it. When I first started doing it in the summer of 83, by 86, by the time I graduated college, my friend Mike Royce wanted to start doing it, and I would take him around to the clubs. I was already retired. The only reason I started doing it again was because Mike was doing it, and then I met a tell, and I'm like, well, this is... What am I going to do? I I got these guys want to do stand up comedy every night. I these are my friends. What am I going to do? So I guess I might as well do it. It wasn't like it was a bad time. You know, nobody was pulling my leg to do it. You know, it, it was a fun time. They, they, these were funny people. They were fun to hang out. It was an awesome social scene. There were plenty of girls. There was drinking. It was a perfect thing to do when you are 22 and you move into the city and you're looking for friends and you're looking for fun. What is more fun than this? I wasn't looking to get married at the time or anything. I was looking to further my career. I had a regular, I always had a regular job 
And then at nighttime, we would go party and, and tell each other jokes. I mean, what? It, it makes sense. And, you know, it's funny when you think about the people you started with and the people that fall through the cracks. Some people were very good and you just never heard of them again. It's funny that I would still be, that Tara would even call her manager and say, I want Dave Juska to open for me. I mean, I know we're just friends, but it's funny that she would even think of me in that way because I'm just not like the others. I've just never cared. Rachel wanted to be a stand-up comic for some God knows reason. My friend Danny Vermont, he wanted to be a stand-up comic. They stuck with it. They worked on it every day. That just wasn't me. So the fact of the matter is I probably could have been a good stand-up comic. I just didn't care. I didn't want to do it every night. I loved going to the bar. I loved, I didn't love the performing as much as those guys did, but I certainly when I did well, it was a high, but I liked the social aspect of it as we have spoken about before. It's just, I, I have to sometimes tell myself this. I'm like, it just, my whole life doesn't add up. I mean, the people that have known me since elementary school, like Rich Duffy and 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 my sister and and Lee Mar- well, Lee, but Lawrence, you know, people that listen to this podcast all the time, they 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 knew my dreams. They they knew I I didn't want to. I don't think they would say, yeah, he always wanted to be a stand up comic. Nobody would say that. He always wanted to be an actor. He wanted to be a singer. He wanted to be a dancer. He wanted to be an actor. It was never a question of being a stand up comedian. It just made sense because I was a funny guy. I guess. I mean, after all, I did win class wit in school. Hello. (laughs) But as Gilbert Gottfried said, the people that win class clown in school end up being the funniest guys at their office. God damn it. That's exactly what happened. But uh, it's just so weird to, and then, you know, in the 90s, being technically a professional stand-up comedian where I made my living doing stand-up, which I still can't even imagine. It's just weird because I guess for a while I was a professional. I just really didn't like it. And it's just weird that 30 years later or 20 years later, whatever it is from the 90s of when I just kind of gave up, that I'm still doing it but still as a hobby like I can't can't seem to commit I didn't want you know Rachel's like aren't you going to try and go on before Friday and I'm like nah I've done that before it doesn't help uh and and that's the weird thing too is that you know I've put myself into a corner in the sense of like that I for some god knows reason they let me perform at the cellar but if you think of it I'm not past at the cellar they let me perform here in a miracle of in the best comedy club in the world, or what's considered the best comedy club in the world, and they let me do whatever the goddamn hell I want there, which is unbelievable. And I'm technically not really past there. I don't perform at the regular comedy. I let me perform at the Village Underground. They keep saying, do you want to audition? I'm like, why would I want to do that? It'll be embarrassing if I'm not past, but I'm still doing shows. Which is, you know, extra funny, but it really feels like all smoke and mirrors. But to be asked to be do these things, it's it's funny. It's like it's like almost the way I did plan my life when I think about it in my head. When I think about it, I really 
always wanted an office job when I got out of school. I mean, I obviously I wanted to be on a TV show, but if I, I also wanted an office job. I don't know why. I, I wanted a place in a cubicle that I could go to every day that was mine where I can just sit and do meaningless computer work. I don't know why. And this is the weirdest part. I wanted to be, I wanted to be this guy who was known for being great at one time and knew all these famous people. I mean, this is the way I thought of myself when I was in college. You know, it would be great to be a guy like, hey, you used to used to kill. I'm like, hey, I don't do that anymore. And I'm sitting there with a drink in my hand. I, I mean, I guess movies and TV just caught up with me. And I'm like, no, wouldn't that be great to be that guy? The guy that like could have made it, but he's just a drunk. But but then but then I, I became that guy. Like I really worked hard at it. <laughs> I mean, the day I met Sarah, the day I met her for the first time in 1990 or 91, I was playing a video game and she goes, Hey, I understand you're Dave Juskow and uh you don't like comedy. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, that's right, kid. And she's like, well, I don't understand. I heard you kill. And I'm like, listen, kid, I'm playing a video game right now. Can we talk about this at another time? Like, I was that guy already, and I was only like 24 or 25. or No, I, I met her when I was 26. I was already that guy that had this great reputation but never wanted to do comedy. And that's the funny thing. That's all I ever wanted to be. I just never saw myself as playing these big places. It didn't make sense to me. I saw myself getting an Academy Award in my dream world. I certainly make my acceptance speeches all the time in the mirror like a normal person. I just never pictured being a stand-up comedian. It just, I did it, like I said, but it was, it was, I don't, because it has the word comedy in it. I just wanted to do comedy. It's just so odd. And then for this to come up at this time, at this age, out of nowhere, it's kind of great. But again, I just have to tell myself this because the magnitude of it is just so weird. And I really couldn't picture myself at 26 ever playing this. I, I could actually picture myself when the first day I met Sarah opening for her. I swear to God. Or, or I could see working with them years from now and I just knew Sarah... We all knew Sarah was going to be, she just had a drive. She was ridiculously pretty, and you knew when she got it together. And she just had the drive. I mean, listen, she quit college. She was so sure. She's really smart. She's known what she's wanted since day one. I have known what I've wanted since day one, but could not work it out it wasn't smart enough to make it happen not smart enough to write jokes properly she's able to write well she can craft a joke she can do other things i i still blame it on the sats i don't know anyone that has a lower score than i do like i know i can do funny stuff that people might say I'm a genius in a different way, but, you know, comedy-wise, maybe. I'm, I'm just saying it's, you know, people use that term 
not just with me, with lots of people. Like Attell is a genius. I mean, you're just saying it in, in the way he crafts a joke and writes it. It's amazing. But uh, you know, I'm like a slapstick genius, maybe, you know, or something, but a fool. And not having the intellectual uh, knowledge, clearly, if we put everything into SATs, which we do in this country, then I might be the stupidest person ever. I took that goddamn thing three times, and he ended up with an 830. That's really... I'm retarded. I got to spend more time at the zoo, people. I'm an actual retard. I, they might, if I, they don't judge like that, remember they used to, like if you get a certain number, you're a retard. You know, you can't say that word anymore, but now they use it different. But you're slow. You're a retard. You need, you know, you, and then, you know, average, smart, genius. I, I, I don't know what the story is anymore with the testing. Maybe they made it easier so people don't, feel bad about themselves because you know that's the world we're living in. But I don't know anyone else who got as low a score as I did. No one. And you can't say it's just, oh, he didn't care, he didn't try. I took it three goddamn times. You think I really wasn't trying to get a higher score? I knew I wanted to go to college. And I didn't want to go to a, you know, a county school. frustrating sometimes because when i think of you know the when you think of the best comedians that we know sarah dave not so much rachel <laughs> no but i'm just saying like louis john stewart um we know these people are really smart you can't craft jokes like that and not be bright you have to be a good writer you have to you have to be intelligent to craft the jokes um, I just knew I never had that. That's why I like doing imitations. That I can do. I can imitate people because that's what a fool does. That's what a clown does. I was good at imitations, and that's the thing. That's what I used to do. I didn't tell stories. I didn't tell jokes. I did imitations. That was my act. And once people got old and they didn't know who my imitations were, I was finished in the business. So to rebuild yourself or rebrand yourself i mean that's really really tough some people get it you know who did it you too did it the band you too <laughs> you know they had their style and then they came up with octung baby and they changed their style just enough to make themselves legendary for now until the end of time by changing it just enough but still keeping their style. Sarah has done that. Attell has done that. They have rebranded themselves over the years to keep consistent with getting older and still being able to deal with people that are younger. Sarah has aged perfectly in her comedy where she used to be the little girl who was using dirty words she is now the bigger girl using dirty words, but she somehow worked it out where she can do both. Just enough where she's still Sarah, but she changed it enough that she can now uh, do stand-up comedy until she's 100 years old. And that's a hard thing to do, to rebrand. And for me, I was never good at jokes, and the plan was always since the first day of comedy, 
If all else fails, I have my imitations. That's what I rely on. When I can't do the jokes, I have the imitations. So the one time I didn't do the imitations was this one chef bit that, you know, was world renowned, which you can never see because it's not on YouTube or anything. You know, it worked out great, but I put everything I had into this one bit and then I couldn't follow it ever again because it took every bit of intelligence I might have had to put this one bit together, which someday uh, I can probably find. It's probably on VHS somewhere. I probably have it. I could play it for you and I think you'll like it a lot. Um, But yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Nobody knows who, I mean, these are the imitations I used to kill with. My Charlton Heston imitation. No one knows who that is, even though they're probably playing that fucking thing today as I'm taping this, the Ten Commandments. And I've told you, I don't even have to go into the Ernie Douglas from My Three Sons again. I'm telling you, folks, I mean, that's the funniest thing in the world. I used to close with that bit. I used to close with that. I couldn't follow. The, I, I was explaining it to my mother the other day. I mean, she knows who it is, too, and we all of us can't. We sit here and we're like, wait a minute. It's not like a tell from 1980. His jokes still work. He's like, I, the cops picked me up the other day for drunk driving. I don't know how they knew I was drunk. Maybe it was that blender on my dashboard. I mean, he, he, even that little lowbrow joke is still funny. I can't do Ernie Douglas from My Three Sons. People, no, I mean, people that know who it is are like, yeah, how did that used to kill? I was there. I saw when you couldn't follow it and you had to leave. B- but why? <laughs> why was anyone laughing so hard at that bit? We'll never know. It was just a thing. I got lucky. It, I hit it at the right time when people were just like, I don't know. Do that from uh, old TV shows and such. And then I, I got run out of the business. I couldn't, I couldn't compete. But, uh, you know, that's why this is, like, so interesting. It's almost like trying again. I mean, now, from now until July, and remember the dates are, still can't believe there's more. And now I'm definitely on the door because Sarah goes, after I fucked up, we were in the car, she goes, you know, those dates are not set in stone. <laughs> and then she says to Beth, no, they are. Uh, but I knew that, you know, I mean, listen, if I bomb horribly, she's probably not going to let me do the other dates, but I did just enough that the dates are still on Thursday, July 18th, right here in New York city at the South street seaport, pier 17 tickets on sale. Now she tweeted it the other day, Friday night at the Sands Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And then Saturday night at the Borgata, my favorite place, the place where I got booed off stage. Saturday night, July 20th at the Borgata. Now, here's, now listen to this. Now, if you think what I just told you is crazy, listen to this. Now, I'm probably going to go see Jeff Ross and David Tell. They're at the Borgata, which, you know, I love to go with my friend Dave Elliott. And we hang out. We get a room. He snores. Um, <laughs> uh, we have a good time. A little three-card poker. And they're going to be there on Memorial Day weekend. Which, you know, I was like, ugh, Memorial Day week, I'm not going. But I think they can get me a room, so then I'll go. And they're my boys. And I probably, I told Jeff, I probably could have opened for them. Now that I did this, they're looking for an opener. I could probably say I could do it, but eh. 
But the funny thing is they're playing the Music Box Theater, which is my favorite theater, and I've played there many times, and that's where you know the controversial booing happened. But I'm used to it. The staff knows me there. They're like, wait, they still let you come here? You know, it's funny. It's a... It's a it, it's almost like the cellar to me, this music box theater. I've just been there so much. I've been backstage, I've been on the stage, it's I've been in the audience, I've been in every which way. And I like that hotel very much, feel very comfortable there. But we're playing the bigger room. We're playing the event center. How fucked up is that? David Hill and Jeff Ross playing the smaller room. I'm like, Oh, you guys are playing this room? Oh no, no, next month I'm playing the big room. Oh, I thought you guys were playing the big Oh, I'm sorry. That doesn't make a lick of sense. I'm playing a bigger room than a tell. What? Something's fucked up in the world. And quite frankly, why is Sarah playing a bigger room when a tell should always be playing the bigger room, even though that doesn't work for him? He needs a smaller venue just for his kind of comedy. But David Tell is the best comic in the world, or whatever, in the country at least. He should be playing... Nobody should be playing bigger rooms than him, but for some reason, when it's a bigger room, it's not as hilarious. I don't know why. But, I mean, how funny is that? I mean, that's ridiculous. I keep thinking about it. I'm like, oh, my God. How did this happen? I'm going to be like in uh, that thing you do. Hey, Stitch, how did we get here? I bought you here, my friend, for I am Spartacus. Uh-huh. But anyway, it's the same crew, me and the girls. Oh, my God, I was dying. I said to Sarah, Sarah goes, listen, I just want to tell you this. And um, don't say it's an all-girls show. And I'm like, oh, way ahead of you. Already said to myself, already put it on my head. I'm not going to say it's an all-girls show. That's lame. So I was way ahead of her. Uh, and I said, but I'm hoping that you're going to say, and this is from Revenge of the Nerds, when we're all together and we have to go to the dressing room, I want to see, it's just saying this to me, I want to see you and the other girls in the dressing room now. That's what John Goodman says that to, uh, who's the uh, patron saint of uh, Jump the Shark? You know, Ace from The Love Boat and guy from uh, Married with Children. You know what I'm talking about. The guy who comes on single-handedly, uh, sinks the show or technically saves it. Ted McGinley. I want to see you and the other girls in the locker room now. I was just hoping she was at least going to say that to me. But what a crew. I'm there with my friends, so I feel comfortable. It's Marina. Marina's my pal. Sarah's my best pal. And I love Beth Stelling. I mean, I absolutely will always love her because she put me in her fucking TV show. And if she comes up with another show, who knows? She likes me. I like her. I'll never forget her. So I mean it's a it's a it's a fun quality show. Everybody was good. Marina was great. Marina killed it. She was amazing. She's so good. I really like her comedy. It's not just a joke like because she's my friend. I really enjoy her comedy. She's really funny and cool. Anyway, um I don't we didn't go off on a tangent. I think this was the plan for today, so there's no problem. Um I didn't prepare a lot because you know I was concentrating and so now what i'm saying is i'm going to be i'll probably be doing some shows i'll try and get some spots uh so i can practice for july i have the show on june 4th it's all set at the comedy so i keep forgetting i got those shows uh june 4th uh me judy gold jessica curson mateo lane rick chrome and mike vecchione all set dave just broadway bound hey everybody 
No, I'm not gay. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, but that's the show June 4th at the Cellar. I forget we have still plenty of other shows to do. So you can see Dave Juska live everywhere this summer. And I will tell you, I am pitching. Uh, whenever I see Liz again, I'm going to try, because I'm in a financial problem with the tax, with the IRS. This is what people do. I'm going to pitch. I'm going to try to do a show every month at the cellar in 2020, January to December, every month. If they let me, I don't know what they will. The year of the, the, year of the cow or the year of the just cow, I can't decide. The year of the cow's funnier. Especially if it was the year of the cow in the Chinese New Year, I mean, that would be perfect, but I don't know. Um, every show, every month, a different show. And I'm trying to make a theme. Like, so if you come to all the shows, you get a prize or something, or something's revealed in December, something like that. So I'm trying to come up with that now. I got plenty of time. I can still put together shows. I uh, can't decide whether to do a birthday show. What I'll probably do is a birthday show, then a show in October and December, but then just to try and do a monthly show. And one of those monthly shows, I don't remember who came up with it. It could have been Dory. I'm going to do, or maybe three of those monthly shows, I'm going to do, oh my God, make me laugh. Make me laugh. I'm going to take a contestant from the audience and I'm going to have the comics try and make them laugh. They will win money, a prize, something if they can make the person laugh or if they don't, if the person doesn't laugh. Uh, it's an old TV show. Some of you might remember it. I was on the show. I was humiliated on the show and yet I still want to do it again. As long as I'm not the comic that has to do it, I don't. I can't handle the humiliation again. And what happened, I'll tell you that another time. It's, uh, maybe maybe that'll be the revelation. I will play you my clip uh, if you come on in December. But uh, that's what I'm thinking right now. Because now I'm like, well, I'm performing so much live. Let's just go for it all. Huh. That's the plan. Uh, also... Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, um, with the Cars movie, Turbocharge, again, I was talking to Marina, and she has some sort of platform possibly thinking about it. Uh, I can tell you guys. Who cares? Um, I'm thinking about Colin Conan O'Brien. He is apparently doing something. This is right in his wheelhouse. I know the head writer on the show. I might give him a call. We'll give him a call. We're trying to get it. We're trying to get it out there, right? We're trying to get it out there. I don't know what's happening with Netflix. I don't know, but you know, we got to try some other places, right? We got to get it out there. We got to get it to the people. So this is all the stuff that just happened this week. I'm letting you know it's coming to me as we're talking. Um, and uh, that's about it for that. Now, after I finished, I was. On Friday, I was so happy. I was just pacing the whole time because I still had to go back up and introduce everybody, do bits in between. No big deal. I was through with my thing, and Sarah was happy with it. So, relief. And I was just texting, having a good time. I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And it turned out that the beautiful and absolutely stunning Kate Pearson was in the audience 
from the B-52s. And we were told she wanted to come backstage and say hello. And I was like, Sarah, this is awesome. Because she is just terrific. I love her. Love the B-52s. And um, she's so cool. So I couldn't wait. So after the show, she came back and we spent some time with her. We all took photographs. Oh, it's really terrific. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I just played Legal Tender. I play it every tax day. I mean, that's like one of my favorite songs for some reason. I don't know why. It's so, like, beautiful 80s, new wave, what the B-52s are all about. I play it every time. I think, no, wait, wait. I think Mike Sauter said he did it, right? Was that what it was, Mike? Maybe I said my friend Mike Sauter played it. I remember I was listening to it after he said it, though. I always liked this song. I thought it was so cool. I have that keyboard part. It's so cool. fun song 30 million dollars there's uh, she's that voice is so terrific and it's so noticeable i mean she really is um can i just say rock and roll legend just a music i mean she really is a music legend and mike sauter let me tell you something i sent you that i can't believe i got your wrong text that we never text each other we always facebook or we email so i'm like this one i have to send i gotta send this to mike Mike Sauter is uh, the, the program director at a, at a radio station in Pittsburgh. I can't remember the call letters. I'm sorry. And he's a wonderful guy. We've known each other for years. We have such a music history between the two. I mean, you are the, the music guy, but I'm saying this guy, Mike, since college has been all about music. He, here's a guy like the comics we were talking about who's like, I want to be a DJ. I want to be involved with music. I want to be involved with radio for the rest of my life. And that is what he has done he used to have me on his beautiful station in New Jersey, WHTG, which used to be this kind of station where you would hear this kind of stuff in the 90s. He was friends with Matt Pinfield, who was all an alternative music guy um, in the 90s who used to be on MTV and have his own show. And he would spin sometimes at, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and he introduced me to all these people. And I knew he would, you know, he he knew everything. He's a huge Beatles extraordinaire. I mean, actually, I would love to have you on the show, Mike. Um, maybe we can do a call-in show or something because he's just really knowledgeable about everything music. And, you know, if I'm taking a picture with Kate Pearson, the first person I'm thinking of is Mike Satter and this guy, and then he Facebooks me, how'd it go? And I'm like, listen, dummy, I just texted you. Are you kidding? This is the first time we texted. I got the wrong number. Why don't I have the right number for this guy? It was horrible, so I had to send him the picture on Facebook. What is that all about? That was so disappointing. He's the first person I thought of, and the next person was John Vitti from the Boston Globe because... When we used to go to Atlantic City all the time, the Good Stuff album came out, and we would just always sing, Good Stuff, give me some of that good stuff. Like, whenever we would get a good hand in Blackjack or something, Good Stuff, give me some of that good stuff. Like, they're probably their worst song, but um, 
It just reminds me. So those were the two people I sent it to, and they're I they I don't know. They, I was so upset that Mike didn't get it. Um, I know he listens to the show, <laughs> so I was like, ah, I can't wait to. I mean, you know, you're thinking of something. All right, who's going to appreciate this the most? I mean, I was really really excited, but who would appreciate it the most? And the answer is Mike Sauter. And that's the funny thing. I mean, here's what we were talking about. People that change their style just enough, just enough to keep your old style, but somehow put it into the next level. And the B-52s are a prime example of that. You hear a song like that off the Whammy album, they're all just, you know, like a Devo or, you know, one of those kind of bands with the the keyboards and the the electronics. And then they come up with that, the the, the Cosmic, um, what was Cosmic Thing album, uh, out of nowhere, remember they they had tragedy, just like Def Leppard, they had tragedy. Uh, their their uh, one of their members died of AIDS. Really said so. They took a break and they came back blasting with you know with Love Shack and Rome, what we played up front, and I mean just this album that went out of the stratosphere of something they probably couldn't even have imagined how huge it would be a B fifty twos album. They were a niche band and they just hit pager changed their style just enough to make it not weird but still keep their coolness to them and and just have these uh you know just this one album what did it you know at that time in 88 89 had you know multiple hits like you were supposed to have back then love shack rome and this song which i always forget Channel Z, it's like, I'm like, wait, I don't remember this, so I'm going to remember it. Then when you get to the chorus, oh, right. I heard this at a... um, at a bar the other day and I'm like oh my god old B-52s which it is but technically it's a new 52s kind of cosmic thing it's a new 52s B-52s great harmonies but that Kate Pearson has such an amazing voice and she helped so many other back then when people were just really like wow this voice is so it's so piercing <laughs> Uh, it's so uh, different and interesting, and it's so noticeable and recognizable. I mean, how many people can you say that about? You can say that about Stevie Nicks. Uh, you know, is that it? I mean, really, uh, Ethel Merman. I don't know. You know, but Rockways. I mean, uh, Chrissy Hind. Maybe you could say, but I mean, you know, it's very. That's a real great thing to have a noticeable, recognizable voice. And this, you know, this guy has. Uh, you know, this guy was a living legend, this Iggy Pop, and, you know, I didn't know any of his songs. And she single-handedly saved this guy's career or gave him a second life. I just didn't know any of his stuff, and nobody did in 1990, 1991. And she comes in and single-handedly saves this song, and you know it only because of her, Kate Pearson. That didn't happen with a lot of women. Men used to have to help people. Sting helped so many people. Sting helped Dire Straits go into, um, uh, you know, into the next level. Sting would back up people. Women, very rare to really help 
to find and make money out of a song, and that's what this woman did. She's so pretty. I think she's so pretty. She still looks great. She's 70, I think. Like, he finally had a top, like, hit because of her. She must have just, I mean, listen, I met her. We spent some time. She told us the tin roof rusted story, which I think people know, but it was exciting to hear her tell the story. I mean, you know, that's like a, a dream when, uh, you know, you're, you're hearing a, a legendary, everybody wants to know, what does tin roof rusted mean? I mean, I already knew, I guess, because, you know, I wanted to know, so I looked it up. But uh, she was telling the story, and it was all, well, Cindy was saying this, and we were here, and it was it was exciting. I mean, come on. You're meeting your heroes, and, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out, as Woody Allen said when he met Groucho Marx. You're like, well, it's, I heard you've been fishing, Groucho. Well, it sounds fishy to me. Um, but, no, this was totally perfect. I couldn't have been more happy. And then, you know, if you also, if you watch this particular video, you just see she must have just been a joy to work with. People must have just wanted to have her. This is all at the same time. After that Cosmic Thing album came out, that must have just changed her life. People just wanted to work with her. And, of course, they didn't even need her help. And R.E.M. used her for this, you know, really horrible song, but she made it great. And it's just stupid. But you got to see the video for this. Her dancing around. She just looks like so much fun. She's sexy, but in an awesome way. And the two of them just clearly look like they, the whole band looks like they're having a good time. Oh, and Duffy, you should totally watch this song, Rich Duffy. I'm saying you should totally watch this video, Shiny Happy People, because one of their band members looks exactly like this kid we went to elementary school with, Gareth Lee. And if you don't die laughing from a spit take from your coffee when you see it, then, then we can't be friends anymore.
I'm sitting here watching the video. She's so cute in it. You tell me if I'm crazy. I'm. She's just so cute. She just looks like so much fun. You can see why everybody would want to work with her. And what a terrific person. And anyway, I, I think now she's um, <clears throat> a homosexual. Yeah, she married some chick. <laughs> What's that all about? You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think she was married to a man, but now she's gay. Um, and married to this uh, woman who was uh, very lovely and was there too. But, um, you know, it kind of makes it hotter. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, is that, um, boy, was that goddamn awesome. Just so cool to meet. I was so excited um, that she was there. And they're doing a huge, like, 40-year anniversary tour. The whole band back together and everything. It was, like, really, really cool. And uh, just could not have been happier for for them uh, that they're going to... And I I don't want to see the tour. She goes, oh, we're doing a massive tour. We're doing a massive tour. Like, they're back. Um, I, I was looking it up, but there, and you know, it's like funny. We looked it up after and I'm like, Hey, she wasn't kidding around. They're really doing a tour. It's like a big tour, but they're, I don't, they're not coming here to New York, but I know I may go out to LA. I mean, it, it seemed like Sarah didn't care, which kind of bothered me a little bit, but, um, I do. And I thought it was way cool and, um, very exciting. So what's more exciting than that? Where are you going to see Kate Pearson in the Catskill Mountain Resort? You're not going to expect that going in. So that was just an extra perk uh, for for doing the show and uh, all the stuff that I've been through uh, mentally um, because I, you know, was worried. And can you blame me? Anyway, I I think that's uh, pretty much all I have to say today. Uh, I think that's the show. I, I covered everything I needed to cover. We didn't, it was really nothing and everything. Interesting show. Started out so racist and weird. And then went into, uh, you know, Will Dave just got talking about himself, which he needs to do. He needs to do. Oh, I'll tell you, this, uh, the kid I was talking about in the REM, this kid, that me and Rich Duffy know, his name's Gareth Lee. And he came from London when we were kids. So every time we say, like, Oh, do you mean Gareth? Hello, like. But then my sister has told me because she was friends with his sister that he never spoke with a British accent. I think we just put it in our heads that he did because we knew he had come from London. His dad has a thick one. He's a teacher at Rutgers in dentistry, which my niece was supposed to take, but he retired the one year before she was supposed to take it. I mean, uh, that is crazy. But yeah, Rich, Gareth's father's still alive. <laughs> But I highly recommend seeing that video and seeing how fun and cool she is. Shiny, happy people, REM. Anyway, folks, uh, I don't know what's going on next week, but I'm going to work out this live or whatever so we can take some calls uh, within a week or two. And I'll put it together and I'll give you a number to call or some way to reach us. And and we can all have a good time together. You can ask questions like, uh, like Memo's Kid does. Why are you still single? Are you gay? Why do you gamble? All the questions that were asked by a nine-year-old, you can ask on the day when we all put this together. Now, that should be fun, and then we will see how the nightfly affects others. I was on uh, Tom Shalhoub Fox News the other day, and uh, they want to get me a theme song for when I come out. We are thinking it should be very Fagin-like. So we'll see. Very fag-like. What? No, you're not allowed to say that anymore, sweetie. <laughs> anyway, that's the story for this week's 
Nightfly Show. I am Dave Juskow. Come see me June 4th at the Comedy Cellar. Dave Juskow, Broadway bound, June 4th. And as you know, in July, otherwise, we will see each other next week on the Nightfly, as we do every week, having a good time all the time. Good night, everybody. I will see you next time. <laughs>